what, Patrick Flynn? What, Beth Amon? I hate this movie. Love Actually? Yes. Me too. But I also love it. Me too. But I hate it. You know what we should do? What? We should get a bunch of people together, split the movie into its 10 storylines, and then figure out this movie one story at a time. You mean people like Keith Powell and Jill Knox Powell from NBC's Connecting? Keith, why don't you show us what porn watching faces? And Washington Post columnist Alexandra Petri? I don't know. I think every Christmas story is a horror story. Do you think it would work? It actually inspired me to plan my funeral. I dig the uh, brothel angle. Every time I think about the trailer, I'm like, I was misled. I love your use of the word shag, by the way. Can I mix your ashes with glitter? It's like eight half screenplays just put in a blender. I am positive I stayed with my ex an extra six months because we saw this in the theater. It will definitely work. What is Love Actually? Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download. All episodes out November 27th. Before we get started, I need to thank a new Patreon patron. Thank you, Keith Douglas Schnabel, for becoming a patron of the original cast. Keith went ahead and went to the $5 level. You know what you get with the $5 level? You get this show a day early. So Keith and the other $5 patrons are hearing me say these words 24 full hours before you are. Which feels like a paradox when I say it that way. But it doesn't matter because he also gets access to the original cast at the movies. Our supplemental Patreon podcast. And uh, it's it's we've built quite a canon here. Been doing it for three years. And uh, we've got almost 36 episodes of this thing. This year we've been doing... Uh, uh, we got This is Spinal Tap with Jay Schmidt and, uh, and Kimberly Cooperschmidt. We did uh, Enchanted. That's out in a couple of days with today's guest Meg Bunn and Beth Amon. Um, we have done uh, Can't Stop the Music with Rob, Sh- <laughs> Rob Schneider and Robbie Rizal, which you can listen to a sample of a couple episodes back in this feed. And uh, this year we've been doing our uh, A Star is Born series with Roddy Flynn and Carrie Ginsburg, where we're doing all four stars is born and talking about them. The fourth one's out in December. We're going to do Lady Gaga. We've done the other three. And next year, I am now able to announce, because I've set it all up, next year, the original cast of the movies is all Sondheim. We are doing 12 Sondheim movies. Which 12? I guess you're just going to have to become a patron to find out. Go to patreon.com slash originalcastpod to become a patron, support the show, and gain access to the original cast of the movies. And thank you, Mr. Keith Douglas Schnabel. All right, here's the show. Whenever my world falls apart, I never lose hope or lose heart. Whatever the form of the storm that may brew, not with you to lean on, darlings, you. Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is a director and theater artist. It's Megan Bunn, everybody. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being had, as they say. Thank you for for for. I always like to say coming on down here, but it's been six months and, and everybody's just at home and I, I can't stop saying it. But that's fine. We're not going to talk about quarantine. It's <laughs> a <laughs> solemn promise I make to you, the listener, because we're here to talk about... The band's visit. Let me tell you about Petah Tikva. Such a city, everybody loves it. Lots of fun, lots of art, lots of culture. That's Petah Tikva. With a P. Where you are, this is not Petah Tikva. Such a city, nobody knows it. Not a fun, not a art, not a culture. This is Petahtikva with a B. Like it boring, like it barren, like it bullshit, like it bland, like it basically bleak and beige and blah, blah, blah. How did the band's visit come into your life? So I am one of those people that follows like just follows New York theater. I like to like be, I like to keep up on it. And I heard about it first when I heard that there was this off-Broadway musical that Hal Prince was supposed to be directing, Mm -hmm. but he was not directing anymore. And I was like, Oh, (laughs) okay. Intrigue. Right. And then I learned it's the band's visit. It's based on this movie. It's going to be at Atlantic theater company. And then it gets really rave reviews um, and then I heard Adam Cantor 
talk on the theater people podcast back, Hmm. back when that was happening. And he taught, he talked about his role in the show, uh, which is the role of the telephone guy. Mm -hmm. And he sings this song called answer me. And they played a clip of it on that podcast. And I was like, Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I have to listen to the rest of the show. And so then I listened to the show and then eventually made it up to New York to see it before it closed. Um, Uh And gosh, I've just been such a huge fan of it. Um, Yeah. I think it's kind of like a little hidden. I mean, it's, I don't, it, it did well, like yeah. it's as far as awards and press goes, but I feel like it's kind of a hidden gem um, of a show. That's a very interesting, because I think you're a hundred percent right, which is a weird, weird, weird thing to say about a For show. For a show yeah. that swept the Tonys it the did. year that it was there. That's what I was going to say. It, it, yeah. it won 10 Tony Awards, right. which is is a lot in case you were wondering it is and it, you know and it, it closed you know just like in april of last year it ran for 588 performances which is not a short amount of time um to tell you just how big a deal winning 10 tony awards only five musicals have ever done it and oh wow only um seven musicals have ever won more than 10 so like it's a pretty prestigious Thing to do and if you want to know yeah. all about it you can look up this article the 17 most tony award-winning works of all time on playbill.com written by friend of the podcast logan caldwell block and i will make you go there to find out what the other shows are but yeah i mean this was but i think you're right it is kind of a i don't know quite how to put it could yeah hidden gem or or sort of like people musical people don't really talk well, about in- in the way that kind of all Yazbek shows are, right? right. Like, <laughs> poor guy. Like, I feel like, yeah, all of his shows, they're so great. Like, I genuinely do really like all of the music that he writes. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, but I don't know why none of them ever are like blockbuster hits um, in the way that other that other awards, <clears throat> sorry, other shows that win so many awards are. Mm-hmm. I guess that's, I would... I would not say the band's visit was a blockbuster hit, but it's also, well, I don't know. Well, it depends on how you define it as always. I, I guess that's true. It was sure, not, sure, sure. it was not Hamilton, but what was, right. it was not Book of Mormon. <laughs> it was not Dear Evan Hansen even. Um, but it, it was, it was kind of a surprise sweeper of the Tonys. Um, my favorite moment of the Tony awards that year was that uh, Tina Fey was nominated for the book for Mean Girls. And so they televised Best Book of a Musical, expecting her to win. And she didn't, of course. Nope. No. (laughs) Amar Moses Moses did for the band's visit. So it was, yeah. yeah. When that happened, I sort of remember thinking, oh, this show is going to win everything like everything it, yeah absolutely everything. and it did it only lost one of its nom- it was nominated for 11 awards it only lost uh set design to spongebob um which is fair fair enough I fair enough fair i think that's fair uh certainly i mean a spongebob set is great even if it, it also probably could have won the award for most set design uh but it is <laughs> it was pretty you know it's, it was a nice looking set um yeah yeah three acting tonys score book musical like it just it, it yeah, it ran the table. I guess what I would say is that the show, like, kind of, you said it surprises you, and I would agree. Mm-hmm. Like, the show kind of sneaks up on you mm-hmm. um, just, like, when you're there watching it or listening to it, I sort of feel. Um, and I guess that is kind of the same. Like, maybe they were kind of the black horse or the underdog until, um, I don't know, until all of those well, awards is, and recognition. Who knows? It is the interesting experience of... You know, I usually I always listen to the cast recording a couple times before doing the conversation. I listen to it twice as many times before talking to you. Uh, one because it's short, and God bless them, it's like forty some minutes, and I love that, uh, yeah. even with the bonus track. Right. But um, and also three of those tracks are instrumentals. But um, I I was doing it because the show, the score has this thing of it where it just by design I believe really washes over you. And 
just sort of flows as it's playing. It just kind of like rolls over you and you can kind of not notice that songs have ended and other songs have begun. And you can kind of not notice that the album is over, uh, you know, every single time. And so, which is not the kind of thing you expect from a hit Broadway musical. It doesn't, I mean, it does have hits on it. It has songs on it that that people know and the people adore, but it is not, um, it just doesn't have that sort of, the, the songs don't have big climaxes. They don't even have big starts. They just sort of exist. And it's a gorgeous, gorgeous piece of music. It feels like one long piece of music when you listen to it in a lot of ways with just different sections yeah. to it. Um, which is not the way the show runs though. And I think this is probably a good time uh, or a good time as any to ask if you could summarize the plot of the band's visit. Sure. Um they actually kind of do it in the show. Um, Mm. There's a projection that Mm -hmm. comes up at the top of the show and a line that's spoken at the end of the show that says, um, once not long ago, a group of musicians came to Israel from Egypt. You probably didn't hear about it. It wasn't very important. And (laughs) I love it. I just love that. Um, It's so good. And it's it's in the movie too. It's mm-hmm. but that's kind of how that is what happens and like mm-hmm. in the way that um but but in the same I don't know in a in a larger sense like everything happens, right? Like in that right. one there oh, it, yeah. it's you know 24 hours um of like worlds colliding in um, a place where that never happens. Mm -hmm. Um, And so while it's just very small encounters between this um, Egyptian police band and the townspeople of Betatikva. In Israel. It's, it's in Israel. It's just small encounters, but um, they, I don't know, they lead to like big connections and big revelations. I think, um, or just a like momentary, you know, action for these people until they leave the next morning. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, okay. I guess that was. <laughs> I don't that was know pretty it, good. I mean, I that think was, the, that was good. Because, I can I can be a little more detailed if I if I need to be. If you well, I mean, I think the the only thing that's important really for to you understand if you don't know it is that the, this band is trying to go to one town and it ends, which is a big metropolis. Yes. in Israel and it ends up in another which is a small town with basically apartment buildings and a cafe and that's it there's that's maybe it. 200 people in the town and uh nothing ever happens there and there's two songs about it there's two, <laughs> there <are> two <laughs> songs about how nothing happens one <laughs> one of the of the people <laughs> just hanging out and then the other one when the band shows up explaining to them that nothing that they've just been hanging out right. essentially waiting for them and there's nothing else to do <laughs> which by all accounts like maybe in any other show i i, I would not like I, I i wouldn't tolerate i don't need like two situational like describing the world songs because mm-hmm. usually we want to like start to get to know characters but it's I, I don't know. I, I feel like I feel that both of those songs are necessary. Oh yeah. I completely agree. It it really has this but that's the thing of it, it, it of it sneaking up on you. Uh that yeah. it it it's a show that doesn't it, it sort of lulls you into this false sense of security that like nothing happens, nothing's going to happen, nothing ever happens. Sort and of then, like once. Yes, or I mean, like, or like in in a in an older tradition, something like uh, our town, where it's just sure. like this isn't important. None of this is yeah. important, and yet it is monumentally important. Yes, when you drill down on it a little bit, and it's you know there are these large character revelations that occur that these people have led somewhat tra- some of them have led somewhat tragic, very tragic lives, and oh my gosh, yeah, it. it it really takes you off guard and and sort of introduces you to this idea of there being these small moments that are unbelievably important in the world. Yes. 
That's kind of fu- that's funny that you mentioned Our Town because David Cromer, the director mm-hmm. who replaced Hal Prince, yes. was like so acclaimed for his Our Town mm-hmm. um, as the director and as the stage manager. And um, I, but and I remember that being one of the reasons that I was drawn to the show was just that they aren't afraid of like um, it. It feels like a show that is that would not be a musical because it takes its time. You know, like, I feel like there's always some, not that all other musicals like are rushing, but when there's a lot of like business and busyness and glitz and glam, it feels like um, there's always somewhere to get to. And we establish like from the beginning that there's nowhere to be. Like Mm -hmm. (laughs) we are just, you know, and it's, they, you said the scores, you know, the, the CD is only 45 minutes, but that's half the show you know, Mm -hmm. and it's, they really do just take their time, like sitting in silence or in instrumentals or, um, and and I, I don't know. I feel like that's a lot to do with him. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean that, you know, because, um, I mean, I'm sure that that, that's everybody as well. That's a whole creative team decision, but, um, but you know, just him allowing like them that time and space and uh yeah it's so beautiful in that way one of my favorite moments of the um of the album is the park Mm. and into itgara and something different that three song sequence like right in the middle of the album is so precious to me (laughs) it is i i don't know um you don't hear a lot of albums with a scene in them and Mm -hmm. it's a really like beautiful moment um yeah yeah i just i love it it's i mean the park is such you know especially you don't hear a lot of dialogue scenes on albums that don't have a ton of them like it's the only one it's just this one little scene and it's very important it's a very important moment because you have to understand the question she's asked him to set up her song after that you have to understand that she has asked yeah Mm -hmm. what is what is it like to play to perform you know when you're performing music and his inability to articulate it is, I mean, it's gorgeous, but it's also so important that you know where we're coming from. There's a lot in, I mean, there's a lot of, like you say, small dramatic moments in this show like that, that sort of grab you and, and tug right at your, at your heart, I think, in a very, yeah. so what, when, when you encountered this show, what had, where were you in your your music theater development as a Hmm. music theater Oh, sure. So I guess I found this show, like when I first started listening to it was probably early 2018. So Hmm. I was just about to graduate from from Catholic University. Mm -hmm. I went to school for musical theater. And honestly, that was kind of a time like I, I was feeling so burnt out by the end of those four years, I was feeling, you know, as much as you're excited to like be able to go out into the world and do the thing, um, you know, it was, I was equally feeling really tired and kind of uninspired after four years of really, really, uh, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, um, it was a hard, it was a hard time for me for sure. And Hmm. I remember feeling like this, when I listened to this, um, album just like oh wow there's like it just like we've been saying it just feels very easy right there's something Mm -hmm. that's really soothing about it and I just felt really soothed by theater in a way Mm -hmm. that I that I was feel in a time when I was feeling really overwhelmed in you know good and bad ways overwhelmed Mm -hmm. by like the prospect of what it could be and just by the like (laughs) I'm ready to be done with school you know um, so yeah, I would say that I, it was just something that I enjoyed listening to and then eventually just kind of became inspired by, um, uh, what, after, yeah. What kind of shows were you, did you do while you were at CUA? Ooh, what did I do? Um, I was in City of Angels. Oh. Um, I was in Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson. I was in Into the Woods. Um, and I was the the artistic director of Center Stage for two mm-hmm. years, so ah. that'll so that that'll burn uh, you direct, out. That'll burn you out. <laughs> yeah, that'll burn you out. I did that. That'll burn you right yeah. out. Yeah, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. And directed shows for them. So that was, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it's, that just becomes a lot, but sure. I, gosh, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I mean, oh, it was sure. one of sure. the most, yeah, it was, one you don't of need the to qualify. I think, life. I think yeah. everyone, yeah, yeah. I mean, cause it is, yeah, it's that, well, it's that terrible thing that focusing in college especially can really do is just to always cause you to lose joy in the thing that you love so much uh yeah and so was this would you say that band's visit was kind of like a oh, it felt like what, a breath of fresh air mm-hmm. you know like um also in the year 2018 there was a lot of musicals that were just like wasn't this the year of like adaptations like it was Mean Girls. It was Frozen. It was mm. all of these, like, and this was like the one show, or it was SpongeBob also. And so it was a lot of, and we'd seen that in a lot of years prior too. And it, this mm-hmm. felt like, and this is an adaptation. Yes. <laughs> That's, but um, was not as flashy as the others, I guess. And that was what was appealing about it to mm-hmm. me. Um, and yeah yeah i don't know um so i just yeah there was a couple of things i liked that it was small mm-hmm. i liked that it was it, again it was soothing it was yeah yeah it's it is based on a film it's based on an israeli film from the 90s yes. uh which i remember seeing in the 90s and i have not seen since but i would love to see it again uh and actually the guy who played um the colonel in the movie ended up doing it on broadway after tony shalhoub left as well which that's is- who i saw Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. yeah. That's, pretty, that's pretty great. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was, you know, it was the year. I wouldn't have classified it that way before you said that. But this mu- this musical, even though, like you say, it is based on a movie, like all David Yazbek um, musicals are, True. Uh, is the smallest of the, like, I'm looking at like the, the list of musicals that year, like you say, Frozen, Mean Girls, SpongeBob. We also had Prince of Broadway. Right. Uh, which Donna, is what Hal Prince Which left is what Hal for. Prince ended up doing. Uh, Summer, the Donna Summer musical. Um, Escape to Margaritaville. And, and then the revivals were Carousel, My Fair Lady, and Once on this Island. And it, it was kind of a, a spectacle-laden year between the impressive production design of, of SpongeBob, SpongeBob and the special effects we kept hearing about and the puppetry of Frozen. Um the largesse of Mean Girls for for one of a better, you know, kind of the musical of musicals, the musical version yes. of, of that movie. <laughs> um, and it it really snuck in <laughs> kind right? of under the radar and is just good. It's a real like testament to me of the fact that like you can be a lot of things, but sometimes you can just be good. It's a really, yeah. really good show. It's just yes. good. And that is more than enough. And I had, yes, I had heard from a lot of people though, before seeing it, I was going up to see the show and I'm like, I can't wait. Mm -hmm. I was very excited. And people were like, oh, I didn't really care for it. Didn't, I didn't really. Really? It was too, it was boring. It was too slow. And, um, which I understand, I guess maybe it's not for everybody. Um, Sure. But... I agree with you that I just think it's good. So, <laughs> yeah, it's that's what I, I only said really because I heard I didn't hear that from anybody. I heard the people who, and I heard more about it from people when it came to the Kennedy Center and okay. people were going to see it on tour and how they were kind of shocked how good it was. Because I think a lot of people saw it after the Tony's performance and it won all these Tony's and people were like, well, I guess I'll go see it. Yeah. And I think people were kind of shocked at, exactly how like emotional and experiential you know emotional of an experience it it was um so yeah i heard nothing but but great kind of that like oh my gosh it's so you know that kind of thing from it Mm. uh which is you know which is pretty pretty great um, yeah for a show like this i i will say that it is uh it is not a show that i i listen to a lot though i think because of its what like i say that that wash overness has a kind of a double-edged sword to it um, for sure though of course you know it's like any good red-blooded uh music theater fan um it sucks lullaby and and uh omar sharif are on my like mix playlist yes <laughs> i'm sorry son i don't know why the 
This gift has not been given me It makes no difference how I try I end up drifting on the sea We fell in love, your mom and I We made our plans and started life But now we fight and back away The loser and the loser's wife Because I could listen to uh, I could listen to Katrina Lang sing Omar Sharif until the end of time and I think Forever. I'd be just fine with that Um Kultum and Omar Sharif Came floating on a jasmine from the west, from the south, honey in my ears, spice in my mouth, dark and thrilling, strange and sweet, Cleopatra Yeah. Yeah. I became a very like devout fan of hers after this. She Mm -hmm. like went back and watched the indecent performance. Mm -hmm. I saw the last performance of the company revival before the shutdown. Oh, really? Um, Yeah. I'll, I'll pretty much follow her anywhere now. She Mm -hmm. like really sold me with this. It was uh, her performance was beautiful. And Mm -hmm. the album, she is so, I mean, she sounds stunning. It's so full of feeling um yeah it's so good oh yeah Um, she she really has this again she's she's good like she's just good she's been a very good performer for a very long time and i think that there is but the it's the perfect marriage of role and actress it's just one of those very very lucky things where she came along and the role came along and it just, it, it just nailed it. There's something about her performance. I mean, specifically that song, but the entire character, she just gets it. She gets the, the dry wit, the loneliness and the depth of the, of a character like that. She, yeah. And I also really love that character, Dina. Like I kind of, Mm -hmm. I, there's as far as women in musical theater go, you know, it's, it's hard. You don't always get like a fully like characterized woman. And she is, of course, this does not like, I was thinking, I listened to your fun home episode just a few days ago. Uh And I was so, of course, I've been thinking about the Bechdel test recently, and this does not pass the Bechdel test. But that being said, Mm -hmm. she's a beautiful like she's just a beautiful character has mm-hmm. they give her backstory she is very funny she gets to sing so many songs and um that that are both like about her and about they're they're not just about like this man that she's interacting with like there she is really revealing so much about herself in them um and she's kind of, she gives you this like Nettie Fowler from Carousel kind of vibe, right? Like she's the hmm. matriarch of the town, like hmm. people come to her place, but, um, and she kind of dishes it out, like, you know, mm-hmm. um, to them. Uh, yeah. And, but she, it's, it, it feels a little more modernized to me than, than obviously Nettie does. Um, well, sure. But I really, yes. <laughs> well, she runs the cafe, but, but she has, I mean, she, you know, her, her her establishment is the, the center of town basically you know? yeah and and people like fall in line for her mm-hmm. i feel like you know she um in this yeah i don't know i feel like people look to her because in this town like where everybody is waiting she is she is ready 
mm-hmm. gives me the sense that she's ready for something to happen where everybody else might be kind of like complacent, you know, and yeah. I, well, I that's don't know, an interesting but... question actually, because what this show has to say about the town and its, its residents yeah. is, is, is hard to completely discern from the score as it should be. It's like you say, it's half the show, but it's only half the show. Um, yeah. And it is kind of, I don't, so I'm interested to hear what you think about what are, is this, this show's sort of commentary on these people writ large, do you think? Because there is direct conflict about being stuck. You know, like I would say Dina uh, is where she is in a sort of interesting way, but she's a little sardonic about it. But she's not like, I'm just saving up my money and then I'm out of here. You know, she's not that character. Yes. She's not, yeah. you know, that, but that, that character is sort of represented um, by uh, oh, the, um, the wife. And I cannot remember her name off the top of my head. Is it Anna? Anna. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who, who um, gets very mad at her his husband, uh, Itzhak, for sure. being complacent. And she leaves him at a you know, certain section and she comes back, which he says is yeah. always sort of what, what happens. Uh, and they reconcile. So, but it, it is this sort of like, I'm not sure, what, I'll stop talking and ask you, what the sort of show to, to you, what is the show saying about these people who are waiting, as they describe? They're not stuck, they're waiting in this tiny little nothing of a town. Yeah, um, I think that they kind of don't know what they're waiting for. They're waiting for like something, I think they're waiting for like something to happen, but not necessarily realizing that they can like make things happen, right? Like mm. by, they have like the power to create connection with other people. And they, I think it takes just some like forced, awkward, like silence and, you know, like a rubbing, like, you know, trying to, to figure out how to connect with these people that they start to like, I, I don't know that maybe they'll like connect with each other or um, and I think that's kind of the ant- what happens in answer me right like we finally get mm. it like we finally get these people that have been waiting for connection for example the telephone guy mm-hmm. he is waiting at the phone the entire show for for what for the, we for this person to for his girlfriend to call him um, but who hasn't called like, him in like what six months? In, yeah, in yeah, months. Like he just been, stands there and yeah. waits. Right. And um, and you know, we also have characters who right, like Itzak, who is who has become complacent. And like we said, Dina is in the town and she is she's like made her peace with like this is her lot, this is kind of how it's gonna go for her. And until there's like it just I don't know until they take a small risk on another person. Like they just have to take small risks um, to vary their day to day. And mm-hmm. they, they don't do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it took people literally being dropped in for that to happen and for them to, for just connection, I guess, to, for them to, for them to, I don't know, to learn that that's what they're waiting for mm-hmm. and not necessarily some like, big life event or whatever or I, I don't know that they have the potential to create connection and that is ultimately like is that too heady i don't know <laughs> i don't think so no because what's so interesting i think one of the reasons that that maybe some people didn't like it or or just didn't weren't wowed by it is because of how not american it is and i don't just mean that because it's sure. based on an israeli film and it's about egyptians arriving in an in a t- small town in israel um But in American stories, there has to be something going on. In the American Mm -hmm. version of this story, there'd be somebody who'd want to run away with a band. There'd be somebody who 
you know, it would be all about, no, just get up and go and do your thing and be, you know, this sort of, like, it would have kind of much more of a drive and a focus. The stakes would be higher if they didn't make, like if they didn't make it to the concert, the band, you know, they'd all lose their jobs. Like there'd be stuff sure. going on. This isn't that. They're all the conflict, the actual conflict is immediately dismissed. They arrive in the wrong town. It's not a big deal. They don't have to be in the other town until tomorrow night there's some minor conflict where they can't get on the phone, but then they do get on the phone and the bus is going to come tomorrow. So they basically have 24 hours to kill. And that's it. There's, and there's not even a tremendous amount of, of the, I mean, the, the thing of it being the built in conflict of these Egyptians arriving in this town in Israel. And right. you think, Oh gosh, Egypt and Israel, like collisions of the Arab world and, and Israelis and, and all this sort of thing, you know, I think there's one little thing at the roller rink for like a second and Mm -hmm. that's it. Like that is, this is not what this is about. That would be the whole movie. If it was an American movie, this would be all about people learning to live. It'd be about grand ideas. It would be about big things. This isn't that this is literally about almost nothing. Like it really is just, yeah. It, the whole point of it being, but that's the point. And that's, I think why it's maybe hard to articulate is that. Yeah. The little moments are what's important. The tiny, tiny things are what's important. Right, right. Like, yes, and sometimes I think, I don't know if I talked about this before, but sometimes my frustration with like huge flashy musicals is that it's like, it's the big moment. I'm going Mm -hmm. to the big event and my arms are stretched out and I can't stop singing about it. And in in these moments, it's like the moments where Dina sings is where somebody is like... um, where where like a moment just a, a small little moment happens you know they mm-hmm. like connect about a, about um kultum you know and they mm-hmm. connect about um or i think like uh Idgara, like something different is just so beautiful because it's like that moment when somebody is talking about something they really love and you could just listen to them forever, you know, Mm -hmm. like just, it doesn't matter how interested you are or even if you know what they're talking about or not, but they are so like beautifully passionate about it that you could listen forever. And I feel like they have, that's when Dina sings, you know, I always am looking for like, why did they, okay, but why do they sing, you Mm -hmm. know, in a musical, that's the question. Right. And she, um, yeah, and it's not because there's some big. It's not like plot-driven songs ever, which I really love. There's no really you no know. plot, so like it exactly, it can't be, and so it's just a show full of that, and sure. that's a dream. That's but also, I imagine was really challenging for them, and maybe is why it doesn't like work for some people is because they, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah, it's I the, know. is is the, I mean, it really you know musicals are such a double-edged sword because people go to the musical, you know, you go to a musical, generic people, the generic person goes to a musical expecting what you got at, you know, SpongeBob and Frozen and, and then Mean Girls. That's why you go. Yeah. And this is not that, but it still follows the rule. I mean, the big rule being the, you know, people in musicals, people sing because their, their emotions are so intense. They can't do anything but sing. It still happens. That's still the reason people sing, but, it's internal. I mean, it's, it's, it's so internalized. It's so like, I mean, the, 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 yeah, the song you mentioned is, is a, is a perfect uh, example of this. Something different is, you know, she's gone inside for a second while Tufik is, is sort of humming and singing, you know, the lyrics to the song in, uh, in Arabic and she can't understand what he's saying. She has no idea what he's, what he's saying. And she sings about that, but she gets the feeling of it. She understands what he's, right. what he's going for. So I mentioned it before, but I'll come back to it. I think one of the reasons Omar Sharif is such an effective song, aside from the fact that it is just one of the most haunting melodies I've ever heard oh in my, my entire life. Yeah. But she is expressing this great joy that she experienced as a child and is a moment of connection between, between the yes. two of them. Uh, where she's talking about Egyptian culture that she knows about, and of course he knows about it too, and how it was beautiful for her and just mm-hmm. and simple. And she can't help but sing to it in this melody that you can't help also but sway back and forth when yeah. you hear it. Yeah. Because it moves in that kind of way. Um, 
It's also super interesting that that uh, Tufik doesn't sing in this show yes. except for the one song. So I actually have a fun fact for you because I know Ooh. that you like cut songs. I love cut and songs. And Omar Sharif was a cut song. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, did you it. did you read that Vulture article about it? I did. Yeah. But oh please tell, tell, tell the folks. Yes. Okay. Did, so I'll yeah. tell the folks. Tell the folks. Because hopefully you like cut songs too. So it was a cut song um, until David Cromer the uh direct the eventual director um came in and he wanted to know about like how did the show get to the place it is like i mm-hmm. want to see all of the pieces which i think is very smart and i really mm-hmm. love that very very smart. stealing that forever um you know how did it get to this place and i want to hear all of the cut songs and they played him this song which david yazbek felt very fondly about um that they had cut it because they felt like uh, Tufik needed to sing earlier, you know, that he mm-hmm. hadn't been singing and Dina had sung so many, so much up to that point and she didn't need another song. Um, but she does need it because that's the moment in the show where he, and it, uh, it's the, like, it's his kind of something different, if you will, you know, she mm-hmm. like turns that cafeteria into this beautiful space, you know, and like transports them both to, you know, mm-hmm. the, oh my gosh, um, like, you know, the jasmine, like just the, the lyrics are so mm-hmm. beautiful. Jasmine wind. Oh, every time I, she sings that she says it like so many times, it's beautiful every time, <laughs> you know, she's just, it's so transformative. And so, yeah, um, that's kind of the moment where he is looking at her talking about something that they both care about. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's a small risk Mm-hmm. that they both take to mm-hmm. connect about something. It's so mm-hmm. beautiful. And it, it is, yeah. again, the sort of anti-American, not anti, I shouldn't say anti, because that has the wrong connotation, but this sort of like, it's just, it's the not American approach. And I'm specifically pushing on the American approach to distinguish from, you know, British uh, British films or or even more European films. It's not a West versus East or even like, you know, Europe versus versus uh, Asia kind of thing. It is a decidedly American point of view that we look for, or American experience, I should say. We look for these stories to be this way, especially in our musicals. You know, we expect sure. our musicals to function in a certain way. And I think one of the reasons that David Yazbek has struggled to find lar- great success is that he writes musicals for people who like musicals. I mean, I don't know anybody who who likes musicals and doesn't have great fondness for at least one of, if not all, of his shows. Yeah. Um, and, you know, everybody who's got their copy of Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown and has, you know, worn it out. And <laughs> it is just, it, you know, he he's, and like the Full Monty, which we've talked about on this show with Jay Schmidt, it, these, the, his shows he writes are really, really interesting adaptations of movies, which is always a hard, a hard sell for some, for some people. But he doesn't do it in that big, brassy, Broadway way, except with Tootsie, which is, I think, Mm. his least successful score, in my opinion. Tootsie is the one where I just... Now, a lot... Granted, some of that has to do with why in the hell are we talking about Tootsie in 2018? (laughs) But that aside... um, Tootsie is like the score is so much more in the Mean Girls way of adapting a Broadway show and very appropriate to the story, but it's not where he lives. Where he lives to me, like when he does musical comedy like Full Monty, it's really interesting. He can really mm-hmm. bring some kind of interesting approach to that. And, uh, and even Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, which is a show that I've never seen and I don't, I don't love that score a lot, but the people sure, I respect- They're not my favorite either. But the people I respect who have seen it loved it. The original hmm. Broadway production. It's not. Maybe the word for it is like it's not mainstream. It's not one of. The, it's never going to be the mainstream show. It's kind of. But <laughs> I don't feel like it's a. When I think like underground, like or like underdog show, I don't think of a show that's like as successful. And I don't really find this to be like an edgy show, you know. So I don't. Uh, yeah, it's just kind of weird to classify well, it's, in that it's way. It's not but. edgy in in the sort of. To, to mention a show we, we've mentioned before, Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson kind sure, of way. Sure. It's not it, it's not that, but it is edgy in terms of the way it is put together, in the sure. way that it presents in, in sort of in a in a in a way 
like Hades Town is edgy. In to 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 pick up another best musical winner, it, it is. It, it it's it's sort of like daring in its conceit. It's daring in its construction. Um, sure, sure. And that is where it becomes the, the the edginess of it, quote unquote, can can come in. You know, in the yeah, in the fact that it's not about anything. I mean, it's sort of right. it, this. This is a terrible comparison, but 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 hang on with me. It's like cats in that okay okay no i'm with you i'm in with the you the fact that it is just what it is yeah cats is is less than this don't get me wrong but it is <laughs> or actually okay here's a better comparison it's like chorus line chorus okay. line is just that it is just these 15 people are on the stage and all they're going to do is tell you about their lives and they're going to sing and dance period nothing else is happening okay the stakes are well established but they are unbelievably low from a like when you're taught to write stakes you're it's like the world is going to end those are the stakes you're supposed to be setting up for yeah yeah and one of the joys of chorus line is that the show actually establishes those stakes as it goes on slowly mm-hmm. through the music and so when paul breaks his leg you die you know what i mean like but yeah. it's oh not something gosh. you would have done at the beginning like you absolutely right. die this show in the same way establishes the stakes of the characters and their deep longings for literally anything. So that when Dina kisses or tries to kiss uh, Tufik, it tries to come on to Tufik, like to, to really embrace him in a way that she, she wants to, and it doesn't work. It kills you <laughs> just because you yes. want this. the emotional buildup has been that hard. And you're, you're so you want somebody to kiss somebody. And so right. somebody does like she kisses. Um, uh, what's his name? Jesus Hollett. Hollett. But, yeah. It, but, but again, she kisses him. I think largely because somebody's got to kiss somebody. Like we're just way too, like the bomb's well, got to go off here. Right. And that's the thing, right? Like they're all willing to take these like small little risks up till a point and mm-hmm. like where, that's actually too much. And like, you know what I mean? Whereas other, whereas a lot of times musicals are just like, yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And this risk and this and bigger, bigger, it's so huge that it sometimes feels like, I don't, I I don't know that as much as like you can relate to like the core emotion of a circumstance in a musical, you can't always relate to the exact circumstance. And that is like something that people can relate to, right? Like Mm -hmm. just, trying to feel out like whether somebody might want to like have a glass of wine when they're staying over at your house. And then he's like, Nope, I'm going to bed. And so then you kiss the other guy. Like, you know what? That's what happens. That's what she does. She just kind of resorts. She resorts to like old habits because it's not, it's a risk she's willing to take. It was not like the the big one didn't happen. So she's just, I don't know. Yeah. But it is. and, And it's such a brave choice. And obviously it's what happens in the movie. Like it, it's based on the sort right. of material, but it's such a brave choice to stick with because it is so dishonest if Tufik reciprocates in any way, yes. because yep. his whole thing is that he does not connect with people. It's yeah. his whole problem. And it's what we right. find out about when you find out what happened to his son and his wife. And it is that, that his, you know, we're not going to solve your tragic flaw overnight like that's just not right. how the world works yes and that's yes. really the way this show functions is it's just like i think it's beautiful people, it's gorgeous you know but yeah it ain't my fair lady you know and that's so that those are the trade-offs you have to make for this sort of thing and i think you know you and i can sit and go you know how wonderful how brave how magnificent yeah and you know other people can be like i mean why didn't they get together at the end? You know, it's like, well, okay. <laughs> it's like, that's why it feels, that's kind of why it feels like once to me where mm-hmm. like they, where we have kind of, we're not exactly given all of the signs that this is going to lead to where we are creating the narrative of like them ending up together more than they are giving that to us, you know, sure. just because of where we are seeing them separately experience their longings, but they are not hearing like the other people aren't necessarily hearing, you know, each other express that they don't, they don't know. They're not putting two and two together the way we are. And then, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, so then we're left, we're left kind of unfulfilled, but mm-hmm. they, they were like, well, we weren't going to give that to you. We were never going to give right. that to you. So. I mean, yeah. all the people in the town want is for something to happen. So something happens. 
Yeah. Some, yeah. you know, it ain't, it isn't, it isn't earth shattering. It isn't, you know, they don't solve international crisis or anything right. like that. It's just something happens and everyone yeah. involved is forever changed by what has happened. It is so epic in that mm -hmm. way. And like in its, in its smallness, it's yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's absolutely, it's just beautiful and it's just good and it's just genuine and it's hard to make people understand, I think, how gorgeous and special and wonderful that is without, you have to experience it. You just have yeah. to be like, no, you just got to, you got to check this out. Um, I, I mean, I, you know, like I'll play a couple songs, but they're not going to, you know, you may like them, you may not, mm -hmm. but it's not going to be, I mean, the, the, the funny thing about it being watching it on the Tonys and doing Omar Sharif is they're just sitting at a table. Like it's just two people right. sitting at a table. That's the whole song. It's not any kind of musical number you'd expect to see at the Tony Awards. And, right. it, it, and you either buy or you don't. Yes. And maybe that's why, like when I was feeling so frustrated by theater, like that something like that, where it's just so simple, right? And that's mm -hmm. like, it just kind of reminded me, it reminds me of like just the basics, right? Of just mm -hmm. people looking each other in the eye and sometimes taking a long time to talk because you don't know what to say. And mm -hmm. other times it, everything comes pouring out of you and it, it, um, and sometimes you're just sitting at a table doing that. And that is all, you, uh, that's all it needs to be with some beautiful lights some beautiful mm -hmm. gestures, you know. Sure. The exact <laughs> That's what right it's all thing. about. Yeah, the very specificity of it. it. It's also one of the reasons that I, I kind of, I mean, I'm not kind of, I'm thrilled Hal Prince didn't direct this. Rest in peace. Yes. But this yes, is so yes. not his, this is so not his kind of show. Right. It's just, it's not. And, yeah. you know, he's done small shows. He's done shows without plot. You may have heard of Company. But he, he, but but company is so much more of a traditional show yes than this show is this is a real plotless show like there is like nothing here right and well, it's a it's like a plotless show that whereas company is like you know it's it's a concept musical like this mm -hmm. is not trying to be a concept musical this is right. not giving you like vignettes this is giving you we're getting from point a to point b but kind of like in napoleon dynamite like <laughs> there's just going to be a few like everyday happenings. We are just making some comparisons here, Megan. <laughs> you said, I said cats. You said Napoleon Dynamite. We are just, we're all over. But it is the funny thing about things with no plot have to still have a structure to them, you know, no matter what. Yeah. And they have yes. to have a goal. They have to have a goal. And it's why so many things I think that don't have, plot, especially movies, you'll notice now that I, if I point this out, you will start to notice it everywhere. Movies that don't have plot usually take place over the course of one day. Uh, it, it's just sort of an easy way to be like, at the end of the day, the movie's over. You know what I mean? Like we're just cascading sure. towards morning or we're cascading towards evening. Um, yeah. Or they center around an event. Like in Napoleon Dynamite, it all builds towards the election. There is some natural thing that is a finale. You have, because you gotta have an ending to the damn yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right. And this is, the, this is the, the former, obviously. This takes place over the course of one day. They're gonna get on the bus and go to the right town and perform their concert. Like that's how we know the show's over. Cause they mm -hmm. actually, you know, it's sort of like, it's that funny thing of the first scene is them getting on the bus, getting on the wrong bus right. and then, you know, to go to the place. And then the last scene is they get on the right bus and they go to the right place and then there they are. Yeah. And you, you mentioned once, which initially I wasn't so like, I didn't see the comparison, but I get it now that we've been talking about it in terms of the plot list, like in terms of the one, like, once is also kind of aggressively not American. It is yes. the stakes of the whole thing are unbelievably low and yet infinite. You know, these two characters don't get together. They record this album, but it's not like the the giant six, like the album doesn't become a geeky multi-platinum success in the movie or anything. You know, right. it just is, it's this moment where these two people were on a journey, their journeys intersected and then they split apart again and we get to watch the intersection. So after you heard this show and after you saw it and internalized it and it became so important to you, how did it affect you going forward as a theater artist? Mm. Um, well, like I said, I mean, they take their time, right? Like mm -hmm. there, I remember this one sequence um, where there's just instrument. It's one of the instrumental songs. I couldn't tell you which one it is, but uh, no one is on stage except for the instrumentalist, like in the corner downstage left. Mm -hmm. And 
there's no action except for the sun setting. And it's just mm. this light sequence where we see the shadow of the building go from one side to the other while the music is playing. And I just remember thinking, gosh, that is really, okay, we're going to spend 45 seconds doing that. And it was worth every second because like, um, just that tension can all like tension can be built always. Mm -hmm. That is kind of the lesson learned, right? Um, that there's always like, there's always friction between two people. It's like, whether it's good or bad, you know, or whether mm -hmm. it's big or little. And we're seeing that, um, you see it throughout this, throughout this show, I think in this, and that was, um, just not being, not, not writing off the small moments, you know, mm. for people that, mm -hmm. Um, everything can have as much weight as you give it. So, yeah, I guess that I guess that was my takeaway. Yeah, it was gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. What is your favorite song? Ooh, mm. I think it's something different. I love it so much, and I love any song that has a good uh, reprise. You know, yes. <laughs> and it, it does a have good a good reprise. reprise. Love a good uh, reprise. Yeah, um, and so. Yeah, that, I think that's my favorite one. I think it's so beautiful. I, and Katrina Link's uh, performance of it is like magical. Thank you so much, Megan. This was so wonderful. wonderful Thank you so much for having me. I've been such a fan for so long. So this was this was a this was a real honor for me. Oh, great! Thank you so much. Where can people find you on the on the internet? People can find me on the internet at Meg Bun. And um, I host a podcast called uh, Good to See You, which you mm -hmm. can find wherever you stream your podcasts. Tell the people about Good to See You. Um, Good to See You is a weekly conversation with creatives. Um, we talk about art and love and the universe and, you know, everything in between. Just what it's <laughs> like to, to be doing just this a, whole thing. Just a um, tiny little thing, you know, just a little, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I host it with Harrison Smith and mm -hmm. um, it comes out every Wednesday. So check us out. Yes, you'll have to. Harrison, also a previous guest of this. Uh, yes. Of this podcast. Thank you so much, Megan. Thank you, Patrick. Is this a hymn? Is this a love song? Something ancient by a poet Maybe Hafiz, maybe Rumi Is he singing about two hearts Searching in the darkness? Or is he singing about fishing? The tune seems sad But are the words sad? What's he saying? Is he praying? And why does it get to me? Is he lonely? Maybe reaching out for someone Look at me, maybe I'm the one who's fishing Every The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. The original cast is on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at OriginalCastPod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on all platforms at UnknownPenguin. Enjoying yourself? Leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and tell the world. You can also find the original cast on Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, and wherever fine podcasts are available. My thanks to Megan Bunn for coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. Well, I know it's something different. Those hands, those are not young hands, but they move.